you have your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is where we are headed today. And yeah, it's good to be back, but it was beautiful to be in Montana last week. Uh, As uh, I've mentioned before, Caitlin's grandparents have a home in western Montana on the south end of Flathead Lake that Caitlin grew up going to visit with her family, and I've had the joy of, of joining them the past several years, and it is one of the most beautiful and restful places that, that I have been. It's amazing. I am an early riser. I don't know if there are any other early risers here. I, I usually wake up around six or so without an alarm. That's just how I am. I've, I've been like that really since I was young. I've kind of always been that way. But I, I love waking up early. And uh, in Montana, I love getting up and going outside to experience the world. Is it still quiet and still The sky is still kind of dim. You know, when we're there, I love going outside and sitting on the the sort of deck they have behind their house and just watching the the lake, watching the light come to the sky. Uh, The the glossy lake sort of starts to begin to churn as the day arrives. The silent stillness slowly becomes chirping birds and and splashing waves. The, The dark sky Uh, turns to lights. And my favorite moment each morning is when the sun finally comes up over the hills on the other side of the lake. And and just the the bay that their house sits on is flooded with light. It's just an incredible moment. And I I managed to get a time-lapse video of that moment. Let me show it to you real quick. Just take a look. I mean, it's just an incredible moment, right? Just the stillness, the beauty of that light slowly coming up over the hills there. It's amazing. And, you know, there was, there was one morning that I slept in, and I was so disappointed that I missed it. I was like, oh, because, I mean, it's just so great. It's better than anything on Netflix. It's beautiful. And I love it. Witnessing the waking world feels like an invitation into worship, and reflection. Uh, You know, and and this is what Psalm 19 is all about. This is what Psalm 19 is all about. It begins with the very same images of the skies and the shining sun. And so let's read and reflect on this psalm together this morning. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. And yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. 
The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive me my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of creation, the beauty we get to experience so often. And God, we thank you for your word that we get to reflect on together this morning. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh man, so Psalm 19, I love this psalm. I've, I've always loved it. I, I just, just like I, I love waking up early in the morning to, to see the sun rise. I've, I've loved this psalm uh, for that very reason. Even back when I was a teenager, one of my favorite things was to wake up early and go outside, bring my Bible with me, and just sort of experience it all and reflect on Scripture and, and pray. And that's really the movement of this psalm. Uh, creation, covenant, and confession. Right? God's creation, God's word, and our response. And so these are the things that I want to reflect on together this morning. And it begins with creation. Verses 1 through 6 are all about creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. See, in these first two lines, our whole experience of the world is transformed and challenged this psalm reframes our entire view of the world with a sacred lens that challenges both secular and religious people alike. Whether someone is atheist or fundamentalist, this psalm beckons us into a deeper complexity, a deeper beauty, a deeper way of being and seeing the world. You see, I have known some very well-meaning religious people who have at times insisted that the only way to know God is the Bible. The only way to know God is the Bible. And when this is the case, the entire spiritual life becomes focused on study and knowledge. Worship services really are about hearing a sermon. Small groups really are, are just about studying the Bible together. 
right? The whole spiritual life is about amassing more information about the Bible. In, in 1637, philosopher René Descartes wrote, I think, therefore I am, right? And, and I think many times we have taken that mind-centered philosophy and translated it into, well, I study the Bible, therefore I'm saved. And that's just not right. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love Bible study. I, I am currently preaching a sermon right now. That's, that's what I'm doing. These are good things. And we'll, we'll talk more about them in a moment. These are good things, but they are not the ultimate thing. This psalm will get to, to reflecting on Scripture, and, and we'll get there in a moment. But for, for just a second, I just want to reflect on this, because I think the biggest problem with thinking that the Bible is the only way to know God is the Bible, right? The Bible says otherwise. Right here, Psalm 19, verse 1, tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. It tells us that the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And, and just like that, Scripture invites us to discover God not only within its pages, but also in all of life, all around us. It, it, it's like the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who wrote, Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush is a fire with God. Every bush aflame with the glory of God. This means that watching the sunrise is a spiritual activity. It means that we actually do well to study things like chemistry, biology, physics, geology, psychology, medicine, right? As a kid growing up in church, somehow I picked up this assumption that scientists were the bad guys. I don't know where I picked that up, but, but there's this assumption built in, science is, is bad. But what I didn't realize until later, largely because of studying scripture, is that Science is a way to discover God. Because science is the study of creation. And creation declares the glory of God. So when, when someone is sick, we do well to pray for them. But we also do well to search for medications and, and treatments that can bring healing. Both of these declare the glory of God, whether it's prayer or something from creation that brings healing, right? When someone is suffering from a mental illness, we, that, that person does well to pray, to seek comfort in the words of Scripture, but it is also good for that person to see a counselor, to consider medication, because both of these things declare the glory of God. Whenever our world is ravaged by a pandemic, we do well to pray for healing. But we also do well to take various precautions, as we have over the past year and a half, with masks or, or vaccines or, or otherwise. All of this 
declares the glory of God. See, God is not opposed to science. God is not opposed to creation. But he is discovered within it. That's what this psalm invites us into. It invites us into a deeper understanding of creation all around us. And it also invites us into a deeper understanding of knowledge as well. Look at these next few verses. Beginning in verse 2, day after day, creation pours forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. And yet, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. See, our I think, therefore I am mentality means that our minds have to constantly be going, lest we be thrown into some kind of existential void, right? If I'm not thinking, then who am I? Do I even exist? But this psalm invites us into another way of life. Because we are not human doings, we're not human thinkings, we're human beings, right? There are kinds of knowledge that can only be known without speech. There are ways of knowing that, that we can only really enter into without words. I mean, have you ever tried to just be still? To just sit for a moment in silence? To pause, pay attention to the things around you, things within you. See, this kind of silent, attentive presence is actually a form of prayer. It's a way of being with God, not just thinking about him. It's a way to rest in and receive from God. And if this is something you've never tried before, I encourage you to try to create some space for that. Set down your phone, turn off your TV, maybe go outside and be still for a moment. As it says in another psalm, be still and know that I am God. There are forms of knowledge that can't be studied, but only experienced. You know, a couple weeks ago, we reflected on how art is such an incredible expression. Sometimes words just don't quite get it, so we have to draw something or create something. This is a form of worship that the Psalms call us to. No speech, no words, no sound, and yet their voices go out to the ends of the earth. I love that. And so this psalm invites us in, in new ways of knowledge, invites us into, to, to pay attention to creation all around us, but the psalm doesn't end there. It keeps going because creation is not an end in itself. In the original context of this psalm, there were many surrounding cultures who worshipped the sun and the sky. 
And these, the next few verses talk about the sun coming up and, and the, the skies being a tent that God has pitched for it. They clearly speak that the sky and the sun are not gods to be worshipped. They are servants of the one true God who we worship. And perhaps in our current culture, there are many who do, in fact, worship science as our only hope, as our only savior. And we would do well to remember that science is helpful, but it's not God. It is a way of serving God, a way of discovering and knowing God, but it is not God. And, silent, and silence, right, is, is also, it's a way of being but it's, it's also not an end in itself, as much of the modern mindfulness movement might communicate. But rather, silence is a means to communion with God, to being with God and who God is. And that's ultimately what the rest of the psalm is all about. And so the next section, verses 7 through 10, move from creation to covenant. And in this movement, we see a shift in language in the psalm, from general connection with God through creation to specific connection with the Lord, right? Verses 1 through 6 refer to God with a general term, God, just referred to as God. You can look at verses 1 and on. God is referred to simply as God. It's a general term. But beginning in verse 7 and through the rest of the psalm, he is referred to by his personal name, which is denoted by the Lord in all caps, often referred to or pronounced today Yahweh. This is the name of God. There's the shift from general knowledge of God to specific experience with the Lord, this God. And this specific knowing comes through God's revelation in his word. In swift succession, the following verses offer these poetic meditations on the revelation of God, referred to as the law, statutes, precepts, commands, fear, and decrees of the Lord. And just as the first section of the psalm invites us into deeper understanding of creation, this section invites us into a deeper understanding of Scripture itself. I mean, these words, law, statutes, precepts, commands, decrees, these are not romantic terms by any means, right? You probably don't start feeling giddy when you hear those words, and yet, listen to the psalmist gush about them, refreshing the soul, giving joy to the heart. They are sweeter than honey, more precious than pure gold. I mean, what is the psalmist getting that we're missing? What's going on here? And I think one way of understanding it is in a word I used earlier, this word covenant. Covenant. You see, the very first word in this list in verse 7, law, is the Hebrew word Torah. 
Torah, which does not only refer to lists of laws, but this word is actually used to describe the entirety of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These are Torah. These are the law. And so as the psalmist gushes here, he is not just gushing about how great these various commands are, but rather reflecting on the whole story of God in the midst of this. I mean, just think about it. Torah, those five books, begins with creation, just like the psalm does. But then it moves to covenant as God calls Abram, makes a covenant with him, a promise to him. And then you flip over to Exodus, and again, God calls Moses and delivers Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And then they gather at the base of Mount Sinai, and God makes a covenant with them. And this is where all of those laws and commands and stuff come in, right? If you remember the story, they're gathered there at the base of Mount Sinai, and Moses heads up the mountain to receive the law, these commands and statutes and precepts and so on and so forth. And then he comes down and he presents them to the people. This is vital for our understanding of the law, for our understanding of, of Scripture in general. The law did not deliver the people from Egypt. The law does not save God's people. God saves God's people. God delivered the people from Egypt. The law was a sign of the covenant that God has delivered us. And so as they reflect on the law, they're remembering God saved us. God is with us. God dwells with his people. That's why the, the psalmist gets so giddy about the law. Because this whole story of God delivering his people, bringing them into their own land, well, that is what is refreshing to the soul. That is what delights the heart, fills the heart with joy. It's this story that gives light to our eyes. When everything is dim, we can remember God saves his people. And he will save us as well. It gives us light to walk by. This story is worth chewing on. It's sweeter than honey. This story is worth so much more than just gold. And so the, the laws are not just laws. They are a sign of who God is and what God has done for his people. That's why the psalmist can be so joyful and just gush about these things that feel so lifeless to us. And this shows us how to approach Scripture. Scripture is not just a bunch of commands. It's not just a bunch of rules to follow or things to do. It's a story of who God is and what God has been doing among his people. For us, ultimately, it's the story of Jesus as he has come to rescue us from death and raise us up to life with him. 
This is what the story is all about. Now, when we have come to Scripture looking for rules, we have found them, and we've implemented them pretty harshly at times. But that's not the point. The point is the story, the good news. God saves God's people. This was true for the psalmist then. It's true for us now. God is a good God who saves his people. And ultimately, the story stirs up all of this stuff in us, and how then will we respond? Well, that's the final section of the psalm. In verses 11 to the end, the psalmist says, Well, by them, by this story and these laws, the sign of the covenant, your servant is warned. And he goes on to say, But who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. And then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. You see, this story moves us to respond. This last part of of the psalm moves from creation to covenant to confession. You see, as, as grand as the heavens are and the skies are proclaiming the glory of God, as beautiful as the story is that we read in Scripture, it's not just a show to watch, but it's a life to enter into. God calls us to join the story. He's still writing that story among us here. And so how will we respond? There's there's a response of, of confession. The psalmist confesses their own faults, their own sins. But confession doesn't only mean that. It does mean that. But it doesn't only mean that. The word confess literally means uh, to say the same thing. Confess, to say with. That's why so often the different sort of creeds of the church are called confessions. They're things that we say with. We say together, right? Um, Confession is not merely something that we say regarding our sins, which we do well to say. But we also confess the Lord. We confess that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus reigns, that Jesus is alive, that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Will we speak with them? The the scriptures are, are pouring forth the story of God. Will we speak with them? What will our response be to the glory of God in creation and the wonder in the story of his covenant? Will we worship? Will we join with him? You see, I've already said this, and I'll say it again. Jesus is our story. Jesus is the one that we proclaim. The Gospel of John puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
You see, Jesus is the one who has come declaring the glory of God. Just like the sun ran its course, well, Jesus has run his course as the light of the world. And it goes on to say later in John chapter 1, Out of his fullness we have all received grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is sweeter than honey. Jesus is the word of God that is worth so much more than gold, even pure gold. Jesus is the one who refreshes our soul, who gives joy to our heart, who gives light to our eyes. Creation is declaring the glory of God. Will we speak with it? Let it be so. Amen.